Welcome to the Subtle Cane Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Smith, broadcasting from the Aorta of America, beautiful festival city, Oshkosh, Wisconsin, where we pump out reason and pierce through the propaganda. Here we go. Today is Sunday, November 6, 2022, and the Subtle Cane Podcast is just over a year old. Hard to believe that much time's passed since I first sat down in front of this microphone in, in an attempt to be something more than just a passive observer of the challenges we're facing. It's not much, <laughs> I know, uh, just some guy in Wisconsin trying to ask questions, seeking truth, but it's been very rewarding. And I sincerely have appreciated your feedback and your support. What a blessing to, to be able to reach out to so many people from the confines of my humble home. Thank you from, from the bottom of my heart for sharing your valuable time with me. If you're new to the Subtle Cane Podcast, thank you for gracing us with your virtual presence. If you're a returning listener, thank you for that continued support. It is much appreciated. Well, my friends, here we are, episode 39, Sins of the Father, part three. Today we're going to be focusing less on what has happened and more on what is happening. There are links in the show notes to various resources for anyone who's interested in a more in-depth look into the details. What I've attempted to do in parts one and two is to lay the foundation for the ideology that led to things like mass incarcerations, forced sterilizations, euthanasia, and a host of other anti-human policies and actions up to and including genocide. And I've tried to give you a taste of, of some of the characters that influence society to accept eugenic principles, like Margaret Sanger, for instance, and ideas like population control, and climate change, and a whole assortment of branches that have sprung from the unholy alliance between eugenics, neo-Malthusian economics, and social Darwinism. All these things are tied together, along with technocracy. All of these things are so closely aligned with the principles of technocracy. What we have is a concoction of pride, elitism, and greed down at the heart of it. We have a dangerous combination of coinciding and intermingled elements that, when put together, will lead to totalitarianism on a scale that has never been seen before. Never been seen before. I like chemistry. I'm not particularly good at it, but I like it. One of the one of the most fascinating things to me is, you know, this, this you study these elements, and these elements, depending on how they're configured, can heal people of illnesses, or they can nourish us, or they can create photosynthesis processes. There's, there's all these amazing things that different combinations of elements can do, but there's also different combinations of elements when put together in the right way can cause mass destruction and, and horrific outcomes. These elements that, that, that I talk about in this show, these different elements of, and these ideologies, in and of themselves, aren't always bad. The things, the goals that they're trying to accomplish, are, they're not always bad. But when you 
when you put these things together, when you have this compound that's created by these different ideologies, and then when they coalesce into this thing that we know as totalitarianism, I have to be honest, spending all this time looking into this topic has been what my friend Hoss would call emotionally expensive. Uh, it's not exactly uplifting material. Uh, I read about the inhumane treatment of people and, and the atrocities committed by so many against so many others, and, and it really can make your soul weary. There's a cost to pursuing certain lines of inquiry. I try. I, I try to balance that cost. I think about this. I think about this. As I've been working on this series, I've considered how best to proceed. You know, while examining the grotesque machinations of mechanistic Machiavellians, there's a little tongue twister for you, I ask myself, what benefit does this material have? In the end, I, I, want, I want to bring light to the underlying ideology that's permeated social institutions and global corporations, and, and thanks to mass media, society in general. I want to inspire curiosity and, and challenge preconceived notions about the nature of the people making decisions that will impact all of our lives to varying degrees, as well as the motivations that drive them. So let's let's recap on some of the ideological landmarks that underpin not only eugenics, but technocracy, Malthusian economics, and environmental activism, transhumanism, and the like. Underneath this all, hmm, underneath most of the topics which I tackle here, or at least brush over, is the belief that human life is not special, that it is merely a random occurrence of genetic mutations a, a, a cosmic roll of the dice, so to speak. Underneath this all is a profound emptiness that steals from us any real sense of wonder. Without a sense of wonder, we are without hope, because hope and hubris are incompatible. Without the humility to accept that we are not the pinnacle of some evolutionary ladder, it is impossible to achieve a real sense of wonder. We can be dazzled by technology. We can enjoy nature and the beauty and complexity of things, and we can ooh and ah over the next great leap forward in the fields of science. But if we start to believe that life is nothing more than an assortment of elements arranged in such a way as to grant us just enough conscious awareness to manipulate those elements, well, we can only assume that we are our own gods. And what sad and broken gods we are. We're constantly bombarded with examples of how flawed and broken we are as a species. I mean, how depraved and biased we are. How naive and foolish we are. Just turn on the news, pick up a newspaper, log into your social media account, and then tell me that we are the penultimate manifestation of enlightenment in the universe. It's a Tower of Babel, and for those of you who are unfamiliar with the Bible, the Tower of Babel was not like some leaning Tower of Pisa that ignorant ancients built to try and reach heaven, as it is often described, even in some churches. It had to do with a physical place, but it, it was the spirit of rebellion and the desire to be our own gods that the story really conveys. 
As always, you don't have to agree with my conclusions to question the ideologies I've addressed. I ask you to keep an open mind. And you'll have to forgive me. Um, You'll just have to forgive me for, for wandering off the path a bit. So when something weighs heavy on me, when something really weighs heavy on me, it does not benefit you to have me ignore it and drive through a sequence of events and personalities because it's just going to come across as dry recitation. That being said, I mean, we do have some material to cover and examples of modern manifestations of eugenics to discuss, but I'm going to tell you that this is going to be more of a, a narrative um, monologue than than a historical recitation of things that have happened or organizations that are operating right now. Let's start with the transhumanist movement. This is definitely a real Tower of Babel element of society, if ever there was one. This goes back a ways, but essentially Julian Huxley, the brother of the famous author Aldous Huxley, who wrote A Brave New World, popularized the term transhumanism. He, as well as the current advocates of transhumanism, advocated for the pursuit of immortality through the integration of technology and humanity. This is still a driving force for many in the elite community at large and behind much scientific research to this day. It's actually picking up speed and intensity as advancements in genetic research and AI have unlocked knowledge about the mechanisms behind aging and cellular deterioration and disease. And it's tempting to say, well, isn't that a good thing? We'll get back to that. Suffice to say that I'm not against medical breakthroughs and fighting disease and aging and the merging of man and machine if you're talking about better prostheses for the disabled or helping people with learning disabilities. Of course not. But we have to see the forest for the trees and we have to consider the sum total of the effects of the policies that would be enacted in order to realize these dystopian dreams. We're not talking about people who have the best interests of all humanity in mind. We're just not. And what about the climate alarmism that is so tightly woven with neo-Malthusian models of population control? Again, if people are merely just another kind of animal that happens to be destructive to the earth, then it's only logical that we'd have to call the herd from time to time. There are so many ways that we could be treating our planet better. Of course there are. I understand that. I'm not saying that being ecologically responsible is a bad thing. I'm talking about climate alarmism. I'm talking about the agenda to curb the human population, to curb human production and to curb human survival even at the cost of some ethereal idea about what the environment is or or how we're affecting it. You know, I work in healthcare. It's absolutely astonishing how many times a day I have to change garbage bags at work. The gloves, the masks, the toxic carcinogenic chemicals we use to clean, the toxic chemicals we ingest at alarming rates as pharmaceuticals. There's an industry that knows no limits to its waste, fraud, and abuse. And I know we're all so sick of hearing about COVID, but look at the massive push we've endured over the last few years to accept ludicrous interventions into our lives that have caused ruin in our economies, our mental health, and our environment. Look at how all this has affected our relationships. I, to this day, have people that I care deeply for and miss that allowed the propaganda machine to so 
thoroughly corrupt their minds that they refused to talk to me for questioning the wisdom of forcing an untested and now obviously ineffective quote-unquote vaccine. You might say, what does it have to do with eugenics? Hopefully not as much as I'm inclined to believe, but the result of injecting 5 billion people with these quote-unquote vaccines, apart from the massive and well-documented increase in sudden deaths, might very well be that reproduction has been fatally injured in our species. We don't know yet, but the numbers aren't looking real great. We hear about the commonly held belief that we're on our way to overpopulation and that we won't be able to sustain life for all the unwashed masses taking up resources. People are out goose-stepping around in their pajama pants with their poster board signs and their blue hair lamenting the possibility that women or pregnant people, whatever that's supposed to mean, won't be able to just kill their unborn child at the drop of a hat. Here's a little eugenic bump for you in that direction. Did you know that black women in America have five times as many abortions as white women? Hispanic women are also significantly higher than whites. I guess that Margaret Sanger would be proud of that fact. The abortion apologists try and evade the practical outcome of the social and economic policies that have led to such a disproportionate statistics, but the proof, as they say, is in the pudding. That's the thing, isn't it? Like I mentioned before with the mass incarcerations in the U.S., whether or not people want to argue about the intentions of the people making policy decisions, the end result is that the disadvantaged, for whatever reason, are being culled to make room for those of better breeding. There is a globally recognizable racial element to this as well. How many times have we heard of pharmaceutical companies and organizations like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the Rockefeller Institute, the NIH, and the NIAID? How many times have you heard about them completing human trials in Africa or in developing countries around the world? The elites simply see the disadvantage as guinea pigs in their quest for some idiotic utopian dream. There's all this talk about RSV right now, respiratory syncytial virus. Now Pfizer says that they've got just the thing, a vaccine for pregnant women. How surprising is that? A major media push covering RSV just happens to pop up and waiting in the wings is Pfizer with a vaccine for pregnant women with no longitudinal data about the effect on infant mortality or reproduction. Well, of course, it sounds like an emergency to me, so maybe we should just bypass any real regulatory oversight and authorize it ASAP. What about the way that insurance companies have, have fought tooth and nail over the last few decades to ensure that all the data that they gather about genetic predispositions and every little aspect of your personal life is recorded in an effort to minimize their liability and insert themselves between the doctors and their patients so as to decide what you can and can't do about your own health. These are all eugenically tied. And how about the way that the food industry has gone completely off the rails and between the GMOs, the chemical additives, and the just-in-time supply chains, we're seeing an unprecedented rise in cancer, diabetes, mental health decline, and a rise in infant mortality, even in the most developed countries. Back to pharmaceuticals. How about the rise of the opioid epidemic? Polypharmacy, which is taking more, five, more than five medications a day, and all the interactions that that can cause. And of course, the vaccine industry. They've all brought about record profits and record declines in actual well-being all over the world. 
You have the energy sector collapsing in front of our eyes, not naturally, because of decisions people are making that are just not, I cannot wrap my head around. I, I cannot believe that they are stupid enough to make the decisions that they're making. You have the renewable energy scams milking taxpayers like cattle while making the lives of everyday people harder to live and more unsustainable. I could go on and on, but look around you. Really stop and take a look at where we're at. Set aside all the platitudes and the reassurances of the media and the politicians and ask yourself, is any of what you're seeing, does any of it make sense? The only way it makes sense is if you look at the people in positions of power and ask, well, what would I have to do to, to facilitate a great reset? How would I go about reducing the population, enriching myself, and gaining complete and total control over the worker bees that I need to perpetuate my selfish life? If I ask that question, if I ask that question, everything starts making a little more sense. Of course, you'd want to control the food source. Preferred places would receive the food they need while others starve. You have any idea who, how much food gets thrown away in the U.S. every year? You'd, of course, want to limit access to energy, and you'd monopolize all the resources. You'd want the masses so dependent on you for technology, and you'd want them as amused as possible. You'd want to encourage the breakdown of traditional values so that people look to your experts for their every belief, and you'd absolutely need to control the flow of information so that anyone questioning your policies could be called out for being a conspiracy theorist or a quack. You would need to dismantle any source of hope and stability that could stand against your agenda, and you'd need to disengage the critical thinking in people so that towing the ideological line was seen as virtuous and independent thought was seen as dangerous and unhinged from reality. I know. This was supposed to be much more structured and much more like the first two parts of the series. And in truth, in truth, that's what I had envisioned. But the fact of the matter is that I am weary of these schemers. And I'm weary of the constant barrage of lunatic pronouncements by self-important ideologues. I suspect that you are too. Every day I, I sit down to read and I try and sift and winnow through the filth that's dumped on us as a society. And I thank God that I have hope that transcends this mortal coil. What can man do in the face of such unrelenting evil? And yes, I think it's evil. What can man do in response to such callous and cynical tyrants? It can be disorienting, can it? We want solutions. We think. Maybe if I just get out and, and vote the right people into office, maybe things will turn around. Maybe if I get the word out about what's going on, maybe enough people will wake up that we can take back the wheel and steer the ship away from the iceberg of totalitarianism. Maybe if I just keep my head down and do the right thing, maybe then someone else will fix this all for us. If we're honest with ourselves, we recognize that none of those things will work, though, don't we? I mean, isn't it? Isn't it obvious, it is to me, that, that there's more going on than meets the eye. Ephesians 6.12 says this, quote, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. End quote. I don't know where you're at. 
I don't know if you're Christ followers, Buddhists, anarchists, atheists, or, or what your moral framework is built on. I only know a small fraction of you personally, a very, a very small fraction of you. Half of you aren't even in my country, which I'm very grateful for. I think that's a beautiful thing. But you all have your own minds and hearts, and unlike the people I've been discussing, I have no desire to control your thoughts or your behavior. It's up to each and every one of us as, as unique and individual personalities to seek out the truth with a capital T, and it does not behoove you to take any man's word for what it is. My faith does not require human validation. However, it does compel me to share the hope that I have in Christ. This isn't the whimsical, feel-good Stepford wife smile of a Sunday morning handshake. This isn't the cold logic of philosophy or the entrenched idealism of social justice warriors. What I'm sharing with you is the possibility of a personal relationship with the creator of the universe, who became flesh and volunteered to reconcile you to himself through himself and to offer you a place in the divine family as a child of the living God. To indwell you with the spirit of hope that transcends all the schemes and the plots of not only our human adversaries, but also the enemies of old. You might be saying to yourself right now, what in the world just happened to this podcast? Why would you go from delivering historical information about eugenics movement to evangelizing? And I realize that this may not resonate with many of you, and that you may even think that I've gone off the deep end, or some things may be wrong with me. I realize that this may alienate me from some of you, but I hope that if you've been listening to me, that, that at the very least, that I've proven myself to be, if nothing else, genuine and sincere. I've, I never started this thinking I'd be popular or, or famous or even well-liked, to be honest. I started this endeavor because I see the world around me and I see the suffering and the manipulation and the hardship, and it, it breaks my heart. As I was writing this episode's notes, I realized that I had an obligation to those of you out there listening to me to lay bare these thoughts. It was heavy on me. I sat here in this pile of books and notes and papers, and I realized that it was, as the great Wiseman Solomon said, vanity and grasping for the wind. No amount of information that I can share with you will stave off the tireless machine that is grinding through the population. No amount of insight into the psychology of totalitarianism will change the will of the ideologues campaigning against mankind. But that doesn't mean that it's hopeless. Hopelessness is the state one reaches when they have lost any real sense of wonder. Hopelessness is believing that life is the result of some cosmic jackpot that somehow resulted in you sitting there listening to some guy in Wisconsin try and stumble through an assortment of topics on a, a podcast. Hopelessness is the belief that you're a biological machine who started dying the day you were born, ashes to ashes and dust to dust, with no purpose other than grinding through your short lives. What if we're humble enough? If we're willing to admit that there could very well be something bigger than our small lives at play here, if we're able to set aside our desire to control every aspect of our lives, and we're willing to reach out to the corners of the universe in a sincere desire to know truth, then God will reveal himself to us. I hope that what I've said here today is received with the same sincerity and grace that it's been delivered with. 
as I've said, I have no desire to control you. I have no financial motivations. I don't even make any money doing this. I've seen to that by rejecting advertising. This is all, this is all a labor of love. And I hope that it allows me at least some shred of credibility with you. I end with this quote by C.S. Lewis. Quote, If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. End quote. For all you listening, you are valued, you are loved, and you are worthy. God bless and good night. Lack of fear as a world I love